0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: What's good, everybody? You're listening to the Post Bougie podcast. I'm really excited for this week's episode. Uh, Angela Fournoy, who's been down with Post Bougie since almost the beginning, has been having a hell of a year. Her first novel, The Turner House from Houghton Myth and the Hardcore, came out to rave reviews. Some of y'all may remember Angela from our Detroit episode. Angela's novel is set in Detroit. The eponymous Turner House is the house in which Francis and Viola Turner raised their 13 kids over several decades, but it's also right in the middle of all the big social forces that befell that city and black people broadly from the riots in the 60s to the eventual collapse of the housing market in the early aughts. That's actually where Angela's novel picks up in 2008 when several of the Turner children are trying to figure out what to do with this house that they love but also isn't worth anything anymore. Last month, Angela and the rest of the publishing world found out that her debut novel was on the shortlist for fiction at the National Book Awards. I talked to Angela last week about writing this novel in her big, big year.
0: Detroit is a city that, like, if you have loved ones in Detroit, you have people in Detroit, like, you hold Detroit very dear, and you have, like, you might still have negative feelings about it, but you have positive ones. But if you're not from Detroit your like view of the city is completely different and it's something that like became jarring to me as an adult was just like people like i'll say you know what are you doing over christmas break oh I, when i was in iowa city i'd be like oh you know i think i might drive to detroit you know hang out with my uncle or whatever and people would be like why would you do that <laughs> <laughs> and sort of the way that the larger like it it serves as this kind of like warning of like what bad things might happen to a city but then it's also just like synonymous like the d is for depression and um <laughs> it's a it's bigger than that and so it just felt like I wanted to talk about a place and really help explore the, the good and the bad but really the good um but then also I think I'm from LA and one day I might write a story that's set in Southern California but there's a way some writers I've talked to them about this, how when you're very close to a place it's hard to render it in fiction because you have no ability to like call information and or organize information huh. you think everything belongs you think every bit of minutia belongs mm-hmm. it's the same way that like um, uh, I have a, a friend who's a historian and she's working on a historical novel but because she actually like you know has a PhD in history it becomes difficult to figure out to what s- to leave
1: to sift. away like what yeah. is like some of the stuff. The chapter that actually just knocked me on my ass was the chapter in which a character who I won't name for the people who have not read it yet goes into a casino and is we realize that the extent of this character's gambling addiction. You do this wonderful job of conveying just how visceral her addiction is, right? Like the the specific sensation of the casino chips rolling around in her hand, um, and how the chaos of the casino around her and in her own life gets quieter whenever she sits down to play. I thought that character mm-hmm. chapter was so incredibly well rendered and it's like how did you did you go to like a ga meeting did you go to gamblers anonymous meeting and
0: or did you no, gambler? i guy? never went to a ga meeting i did go to casinos i was living in iowa city so i did go to casino mm-hmm. the same one and i like watch people play roulette i sort of settled on roulette because it was not as sort of unsophisticated no shade to slot enthusiasts but like you <laughs> just pushing buttons right uh, that's completely out of your hands
1: there's no agency there
0: right roulette. yeah but it wasn't as complicated as craps which becomes hard visually to explain to people it was something that's like easy to visualize so that's why i settled on roulette but um you know that chapter is i, I don't like to be all corny and sort of woo woo but like that chapter was like a gift like writing is does not it's not easy for me it takes a long time mm-hmm. i write longhand yep, and too. it's like slow and it's brutal but mm-hmm. like i wrote all of that chapter in one sitting, which I don't usually do. Um, and it's been edited like a little bit, you know, to remove some numbers. So it's not so much kind of inside baseball, but like mostly the way that I first kind of wrote it is the way that it exists now. And I wrote that Four years ago
1: so this, um, that was the thing I, I when I when I read that chapter I felt like it was almost completely self-contained it could have existed as a short story unto itself
0: it does in the Paris Reviews the spring 2015 Paris
1: <laughs> so what so can you sort of walk us through like what where you were what was happening
0: I was in Iowa City I was in Iowa City it was my
1: all right so we should say that you were at the Iowa Writers Workshop at uh, the yes. University of Iowa
0: um, yes and Alexander Chi was a uh, visiting uh, professor and that's a big
1: heavyweight but whatever you know just nothing. uh,
0: you know what I mean? uh that's my homeboy yeah. um i love alexander She so much he's uh been a great support like since the first anything he ever read which i think maybe was this i like had just given up on publishing separate pieces of my work because i just was like i'm doing this like I'm not doing short stories that's kind of risky for some reason like you know you need this thing to apply with you need like a good 35 pages to apply to fellowships and stuff with mm-hmm. um and it's hard to convince people that you know what you're doing if they don't see the beginning middle end so it's very smart so in some ways to like work on stories in the beginning but i didn't want to do that but he's when i turned this in and he you know sort of wisely was like you know this is the thing you need to be applying to stuff with like just give them those 11 pages and rock it out (laughs) um and i did but he um so i was in iowa city i was living by myself in a not great apartment with like all undergrads um in my building and the guy above me thought he knew how to play the guitar so that was that (laughs) Um, and yeah i just wrote that like i wrote it all in one night wow Probably knowing me. It was probably the night before I was up for a workshop. <laughs> <Ugh>. uh, <laughs> you know, don't do that at home. Like, don't do that. But it was probably about five, four or five hours. Um, so it wasn't necessarily quicker. Mm-hmm. It was quicker, but it wasn't necessarily what people consider quick. It was quicker for me because sometimes it, there's parts of the novel that it took me a month to write one chapter. Yeah. So. Yeah,
1: I'm a slow rider too.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's a way in which people try to act like if you keep doing it one day, you'll get faster. And I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what I write. I wrote something for a journal. I turned it in on Monday or Tuesday morning. It was on Friday. And <laughs> it. It just takes the time it takes. And I'm also, people don't believe that, that you like hold stories in your head until you're ready to like put them down. But I know how much pressure I put myself on myself when it's like time to sit down and write it, that I really have to have like all my chips in order. Or like um, I shouldn't be using gambling sort of t- terminology, but I, <laughs> I, I really like, like to have all of the pieces as much as possible before I sit down and start writing. Because if not, I can just naysay myself to death. Right, right,
1: right. It's always a painful process. Like my my editor and I always sit down and I'm like, okay, like we will scaffold out a story, like okay, or essay, like okay, this is the things that I want to say, and it's like we'll argue for a bit, and we'll have an argument, like woo, and it's like, all right, good, and she's like, all right, now you got to write, and I'm like, fuck,
0: <laughs> like this was fun, yeah. but. <laughs>
1: but now actually, now here's the hard part, now I make kind of make it sing, um, but. Yeah. Do you feel like there's stuff that was informing the way you were writing that didn't go into the actual novel, like that that doesn't show up on the page, but that you sort of have in your head, like the way yeah. actors often fill out the inner lives of characters that may not be in the actual script? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you were doing the same thing?
0: Oh, certainly. There's characters that in earlier drafts appeared more that I had to make hard decisions about in subsequent jo- drafts. So Troy, for instance, the 12th Turner Child, he still gets a good amount of page space considering he's not like one of the main two. The main two is Cha-Cha the eldest and Layla the youngest. I don't know why, I just like really enjoyed writing him because he's a jerk, but, (laughs) um, you know, like it wasn't his story. And so, you know, it's not a democracy. At some point, you have to make those hard decisions. So part of picking Detroit was also I write, I think the best fiction is a fiction that like, not only is the reader is feeling like they're changed by the end and they've sort of learned something, but that, that you can feel the sensation of the writer changing and kind of growing and like mm. discovering something. And so if I figured, if I thought I knew all the answers, I wouldn't have been interested in writing mm. it. Um, that's just the sort of writer I, I am. So this was four years of me also reading as much as I could, like reading the Detroit papers every single morning before I even got out of the bed, like on my phone and really discovering something about this place that I had no idea. I had no idea the book was going to talk about, you know, sort of housing segregation as much as it ended up talking about it. Those are things that had to happen as I discovered them.
1: I'm always here for housing segregation. I mean, not for housing segregation, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) talking about housing segregation, (laughs) but okay. So, I mean, you said you learned a lot more about Detroit and sort of in your feelings about Detroit change. Your father's from Detroit, and Tracy always says, and shout out to our friend Tracy Clayton, but Tracy is always yelling at me because she says that I'm always asking people about their relationships with their fathers. But does anything about their relationship with your father <laughs> change <laughs> in the process of writing this novel?
0: Dang, this is a very, um, hmm, Dr. Phil, I'm sorry, here I'm I am. Sorry. Um, probably. I think that um, I talked about the book with my father when I was writing it mm-hmm. uh, it certainly wouldn't have been the book that it was had I been like trying to hold it close to my chest and not talking to him about it for instance there's a scene that I write about the 1967 uprising riots depending mm-hmm. on what you want to call them yeah. and it begins that scene begins with cha-cha the eldest talking about the job he had on the line at the lynch road assembly plant mm-hmm. I found out exactly what he might have been able to do by like googling and looking at you know youtube videos where there are a lot showing you how to make a car
1: that one that was one of the scenes that i specifically remember jama got at me i was yeah when i was reading that, i was like how the hell does she know the particulars of cha-cha's job on the assembly line at the chrysler plant you describe what had a
0: very similar job he had it for just long enough to buy a deuce and a quarter <laughs> and he quit oh, wow. because he was like this job is gonna kill me <laughs> right right so he got a car and then he was like i'm cool <laughs>
1: he got the car and then he was like "I'm." yes yeah.
0: he got the car and then he was like i'm i'm cool so you know i guess it's just as i think everybody in my family or at least my parents and my siblings by now are used to, the things that they find sort of the minutiae of the story that they tell is a thing that I obsess about. So he's telling me about how they would have these um, relief people on the line so that nothing bad would happen, like they would be able to jump in and help them. So, so for instance, if you have people at every station on the assembly line and the car is going down in a conveyor belt, they have a certain amount of seconds to do their job and then the next one comes. Well, this guy who's like the relief guy, he's there to jump in just in case it looks like their rhythm is off, and they're going to get backed up. Mm -hmm. So he tells me this, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, what bad could happen? (laughs) I just, the thing that never happened to him is the thing that I end up being really interested in, which is like, what, like, that's the sort of policy that happens because something bad has happened before, right? right? right. And Mm -hmm. so that sort of sends you off on a tangent. So I think one thing I learned is that, you know, sometimes you got to let older people ramble. No shade to my dad. If he listens to this, he's going to be like, I'm not old. Because <laughs> you, especially as a writer, like, it, you'll never know what will be the thing that is like, oh, my gosh, like, this is interesting. You mm-hmm. know?
1: I guess I'm surprised at how reportorial your process is. Because that's the thing that always happens in reporting. It's like, sometimes you just have to let people talk. Um, because the thing that is actually the thing that will be the thing um, doesn't show up when you ask the first question. It's sometimes like when people get into the weeds and they say this thing that's sort of colorful and weird and not what you not at all what you asked, but it's like three minutes into their answer. Then they're sort of like thinking out loud. You're like, wait a second. what? Wait, tell me about that again. Um, the other thing that jumps out at me uh, about this book is the dialogue. A long time ago, you said that that was the thing you were most nervous about how dialogue is written and whether the conversations would seem authentic
0: i think what i told you before is that i don't like how most people write dialogue if there's anything there's probably really nothing i'm humble about everything because everything is hard and i don't know what i'm doing half the time but i do think that my entire childhood like listening to grown folks business has made me (laughs) very good at rendering especially like the generation like my parents generations like the way that they talk and the way that they communicate because that is what i've done my entire life is try to be very still and listen into a conversation i'm not supposed to be listening to so i that was probably the the thing that would be like a treat for me when i was writing was like okay well if i do the work of setting up how these people are going to walk through this door and get down the block then i can have somebody have a conversation <laughs>
1: like, right
0: just the way that like carrots and sticks work the dialogue for me is really carrots because I feel very much like I I still feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg of like really experiencing the complexities of sort of like black speech Um, Mm -hmm. I think um, I mean obviously people have been mastering it since like Zora Neale Hurston um, who um, I feel like I'm certainly indebted to as far as just like listening to people and like not and just trying to like render them without judgment mm-hmm. but um i think that it's still something that i just don't read enough of um is it and, one of those Is like a
1: is an uncanny valley thing with black speech like one of the things i'm always cognizant of whether i'm reading people render black speech or watching people yeah um like on even on the wires one of the things like like that construction is not right you know what i mean that particular construction yeah is off Right, you're you're more cognizant of it when when people are almost there, right? You know, like when people are close to mm-hmm. getting it right.
0: And Empire, they're close. They're close so often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that I like about Empire. Like, um, even though I'm late on this, I have not watched this um season because I just I got to yeah. get my Hulu Plus situation together. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Um, but um, I just celebrities. Have, like, they're not- just like us. Oh Lord. Um, <laughs>
1: This is the thing you feel especially confident about in your writing is the way you write dialogue and the way you write the way people talk. Um, When you're writing this book, was there anything you were worried about getting wrong in the way you rendered this family, and the way you rendered this city?
0: Probably not the family so much because, like, I'm responsible for my characters. Sure. I made them. Somebody don't like them. Oh, well, I made them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you said you love all your characters, but was was Mm -hmm. there a character that was especially hard for you to write?
0: Yes. Layla was especially hard for me to write. Why Layla? I think was a character that I I really wanted to do justice to. I didn't want to make her seem like she was just a miserable victim. Mm -hmm. I had to find ways that I didn't think she was an outgoing or necessarily assertive person, but I still needed to find ways that she had agency and that things weren't just happening to her. She was making them happen. And that was hard. And also she was a person that was isolated for most of the book. Mm -hmm. So I had to still make people want to read about her even though she's just hanging out by herself, by herself in a her house
1: and wrestling with all these big these big yeah sort of, it's like immediate dilemmas right immediate concerns but also like big sort of mm-hmm. like what is my life become? type of discern. do you have to be in a different headspace to write different characters
0: oh yeah oh yeah because there's different sort of language um it's a book that has a lot of sort of close third povs not to get too workshopy or crafty but,
1: but you said clo- you said close thirds
0: a close third is so um that's like i am not oh lord so <laughs> i'm not far away from the way that a character is thinking so if we think of it it's like where the camera is like a fir- first third is like like we're not looking at the character walk through the room we're looking through their eyes like it's a pov like, so we don't see them because we see everything they see. Whereas a removed third is I'm, you know, in the corner of the room with the camera and I'm videotaping everyone, everything that's happening. And so when you're close like that, if you're that close, you're seeing through the character's eyes, every single character is going to interact and sort of receive experiences differently. Hmm. Um, so that sort of changes the way that you, you have to change it on the language level. Um, How do you get into that headspace? you just tell yourself i mean you just tell yourself like oh today today is a viola day viola is the mother of Mm -hmm. uh, these 13 children and so um you know what is what are her concerns what is she thinking about what is she going to observe in a room that say troy who's you know the twerpy little 12th child Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's never going to observe that in a room like he's just never going to observe it because he doesn't care about that Mm -hmm. like so, someone might observe that, you know, what somebody is wearing. For instance, uh, Layla, the 13th child, she, deserves, she observes at one point that someone has a sturdy designer looking purse. Cha Cha just would never observe that, right. that they have a, a sturdy, he might notice his designer, but he wouldn't notice it was sturdy mm-hmm. because he's never gonna purchase it. So, right. he's not thinking like, right. you know, I have flimsy purses and this is a sturdy purse, you right. know? Um, that one's sort of obvious because obviously the way that they, you know, gender-y, the way they're performing their gender is so different. But, like, sure. it you know, that's a, a sort of obvious example, but it's on the level of just, like, what is this person bothered by? Like, what are their preoccupations that affects what they observe, what they notice, and what how they react to people?
1: You are, you just published your first novel, and mm-hmm. now you are on the short list for the National Book Awards.
0: It's crazy. It's crazy.
1: Okay, walk me through. where were you when you found out that you were on the shortlist?
0: I was here in my apartment in bed I had just like sorted my clothes to take them. I don't have laundry. I have a lovely apartment. I don't have laundry inside the building, though, so I was going to take them down. I don't miss that New York life
1: out. at all. Oh, I never want to walk to a laundromat ever. No yeah. one wants to hear that. <laughs> no <laughs> one <wants laughs> about
0: your in-unit laundry. Thank you. <laughs> uh, can't get no good ethnic food, though, so you got to live that life. This is also <laughs>
1: very true. There's a bunch of stuff that DC lacks, but whatever. We're not talking about that. So you're Wait, at home.
0: So I was at home, and I hadn't even known until the day before that this was, like, long list week. Or I, like, had known, and I had kept forgetting on purpose. I'm very good at, like, managing my expectations by being like, you don't need to concern yourself with something. But (laughs) the night before I taught, um, I was teaching at St. Joseph's, and on the way out, I was walking down the stairs with one of my students, and they were like, one of my students was a poet, and he was like, you know, such and such is on the long list. And I was like, ah, damn, now I'm not even going to be able to sleep. Like, he just reminded me, like, if they're doing poetry, there's only one thing left, which is they do fiction last. And so... um,
1: You thought that it was in the universe of possibility enough that you could be stressed about it, though.
0: Well, you know, I kind of was just like, you're going to be sad tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, brace yourself for sadness tomorrow. Have a plan. So I woke up early and, you know, did my little, like, struggle yoga, my YouTube <laughs> struggle <laughs> yoga. <laughs> and then, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to be proactive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the laundromat and be there. They open at 9. I'm gonna be there at 9 on the dot. So I was getting my stuff to go. And my phone just started vibrating. And um, yeah, somebody on Twitter, shout out to Sarah W <laughs> on Twitter. She tweeted that I was on the long list and I just like lost my shit more than anything else. I don't, I think it was just because it was like, I just listened to Kanye all day. I listened to I Wonder like 80 times in a row. <laughs> like dancing in the shower like it was ridiculous i called my mother she was asleep my mother is such like a uh like a black woman of a certain age because i was like mom i'm on the list blah 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 blah. and she clears it throat. <clears> throat good morning how are you like, like, like you were about to greet me properly before you call me yelling when i'm asleep so i was like oh good morning i'm fine how are you your i'm on the long list trying.
1: she was just like monja manners
0: Right? Like, so you're not were... about to wake me up unless you are like, your life's at risk. Yep. Screaming.
1: That is so funny. <laughs>
0: oh, man. Um, man. Yeah.
1: But your mom was the first person you called?
0: Yes. Okay. I called my mother and then, I think I tweeted first. I quoted the tweet first and was like, oh my God, or whatever. And then, I called my mother and then, did I call my, my editor? My editor called me, I can't remember. And then I called my agent Um, and then I called uh my dad yeah then i called my dad i shouldn't say the order now <laughs> <laughs> right Publicly. Yeah,
1: people are gonna feel way.
0: um yeah
1: no shade angela's pops
0: right uh <laughs> i mean i assumed that my mom was gonna tell my sister my sister's gonna tell my dad you know phone tree you got a phone tree of but yeah It was great and that night I was I had a reading at Franklin Park with um because it was before the Brooklyn Book Festival Mm -hmm. so I had a reading with uh James Hanahan and Greg Pardlow the poet James Hanahan the novelist and it was at a bar so it was like I had a built-in libation plan um so it was great
1: and so at that point did you think okay that's that's fine or did you like at that point did you actively start thinking about what it might mean to be on the short list
0: uh no, I was like you know I've already won. Didn't nobody think I was gonna be on this? I'm on this. I won. Um, <laughs> I did not think I would be on the short list. I just was like, well, I'm, how can I how can I parlay this into you know feeding myself as I write this next book?
1: Did your writing prospects change immediately after the long list did you start did you notice that people started returning your emails more quickly
0: yeah um i mean i don't want to sound bitter (laughs) like like (laughs) nobody was answering my emails really more what it was is people would just email me gotcha um and yeah so i did did prospects sort of for for certainly for teaching change in general just people just looks you know getting looks for stuff certainly changed
1: tell me this sort of how you learned you were on the short list
0: um, that story is just more boring. I mean, I was at home mm. and it was NPR. It was NPR.
1: So, okay. Right now, you're about less than a week out from the actual National Book Awards. Um, yeah. where You'll find out if you won for fiction. How are you feeling? Like, what is going on in your head?
0: I'm feeling good. I am feeling, like, superstitious. I, are you? What are your superstitions? I, I know I should write something to say beforehand but i'm superstitious but you think it's like jinxing everything. and it just seems like the saddest thing in the world to have this index card in my like little clutch b- purse of some things that i never said out loud like what i'm gonna say I'm to somebody like can we have another podcast <laughs> right. where i say these things absolutely <laughs> um, but um i'm feeling good I, I have a whole bunch of stuff i have to do between now and wednesday so i'm just making my appointments I don't know what I want to wear yet. So there's a lot of things that have distracted me from just like staying up at night worrying about it.
1: You better slay.
0: Oh, Lord. No pressure. No pressure,
1: <laughs> right. In the post-published glow, what has been your favorite moment outside of the, the, the award announcements?
0: My favorite moment has probably been my second reading that I had in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I had at Paige's Bookshop. It was just like, it was a standing room only crowd. We sold all the books and people were just like, you know, this happened to me, like, this is exactly how it felt. And that is just what you hope for, especially the parts that were set well before I was born. That's just what you hope for, is that people will say that, you know, it felt real. And I've heard that from a lot of people, um, not just Detroiters, but also, you know, Black people um, in general, that it just felt like, it just felt familiar. And so that's probably the biggest sort of thing that I have been really feeling fortunate to feel
1: have you been recognized outside of like a obviously bookie context has anyone been like hey ain't you that lady
0: from at church once in harlem i went to i forgot the name of that church but i went to a french church once <laughs> in the summer and this woman came up to me but you know it's new york so i feel like who knows maybe she worked in publishing you never know Right, you never know. um i feel like new york in general is still a bookie context mm-hmm. you know <laughs> but yeah she was like aren't you angela florinoy um i read your book and i was like oh bless you and we are in church double bless you
1: (laughs) was that the first time you've ever been recognized
0: yeah like that wasn't like at you know on my way walking into a book panel or something
1: yeah so you really can't say anything about the next book
0: no 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 no
1: (laughs) it's just bad juju
0: I mean, I like to write first. Mm-hmm. I have not written enough of it to talk about it. I, It's not even bad juju. It's just, to me, it seems like a bad... People can do it. So it's not generally a bad practice. But for me, it feels like one because it's like, don't talk about it. You need to be about it.
1: So how do you know when you've decided, okay, this is what the book is about? Like, when did you know writing the turner is that you're like okay this is the thing that i'm going to write this about and when did you know you were going to do that with this next book which does not have a title yet but i remember the whole process of you trying to find a title i remember when we were talking when you were like going through the list of names and you were sort of like
0: um, mm-hmm. which is not always the case but for this book i was particularly bad with picking a title um i think it's because it has so many different parts it was just hard for me to see what the overarching thing is but now it seems pretty Clearly, obvious yeah that it's like, <laughs> that right. <is> the house <laughs> That's the it's the house down. right um, uh,
1: um, so when did you know but to go back to the other question like when did you know that like okay this is the novel's going to be about this family and not some other things
0: pretty much immediately is, i wrote layla's chapter so the second chapter was actually the first chapter i ever wrote and i immediately knew like this person and like this setting and this particular set of situations that she had put herself in i immediately was like oh I have never read anything like this and I have never written anything like this and I'm going to do it. So how did you know for this next book,
1: right? In this different context, which you're not, you can't talk to me about, you can't tell me any details about. about. I don't know. (laughs) But when did you know, like, okay, this is what this is about.
0: Well, it's just like when you have, so what happens when you're working on a project, I'm sure it happens also with journalism is everything starts to be assigned towards the thing you're working on, right? Like, you're just walking down the street and you're like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, blah, blah, right. blah. Well, for yep. you, I mean, it's always and forever. That reminds me of housing segregation. <laughs> <laughs> Are they having a yard sale, that reminds
1: me. Like, mm, they don't have hard yells in that neighborhood because <laughs> they've been deprived of wealth over several generations.
0: <laughs> exactly. You see, and your brain goes through all those things. <laughs> I know it does. But, um, yeah, so similarly, like, when it gets to a point where it's like everything is reminding me of this, these people for me, it's always people. It's not idea it's people. So I'm starting, I'm not where I am. I'm not all the way down the rabbit hole. Like I was fairly quickly with Layla, but I think that's because I just haven't had a lot, enough quiet moments to sort of go down there. But um, everything sort of starts to be seem useful or fortuitous in some way towards like the idea that I'm trying to like get together.
1: I, I mean, I said, yeah, I said this already, but like, I would love this novel even if I didn't love you, but it's, it is, I mean, it really was a really, really masterfully done, masterful piece of writing. You know, I never, it's one of those, my sister is a choreographer, right? And, like, you know, I know she's a choreographer, right? She's been dancing my entire life. And a couple of years ago, I actually got to see my sister perform. Um, And I remember being like, oh, shit. Like, you know, like, the actual, like, reality of her ability, you know, it's like a thing you take for granted like oh this is my this is my sister the dancer actually like appreciated how good she was when I got to see her perform in front of a bunch of people you know um and I remember being like feeling I don't know what the word is but I remember feeling sort of like awed you know what I'm saying like oh well this person is my people and also is amazing (laughs) you know what I mean um I don't know, I just, I, I felt that reading this book, like, there was this whole... You, know, you like, just bro. thought
0: I was just, like, a, a mediocre human. And no, no,
1: like, no. I like, But, I mean,
0: <laughs> like,
1: if you know your boy is, like, a good basketball player, and then you and then your boy gets the scholarship to Kentucky, you're like, okay, this is a different thing. Okay, now I get, like, what yeah. we're talking about here. You know what I'm saying?
0: Oh, wow. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. I think, um, you know, one of those things, you talk about shine theory, and, you know, like, one of the things... I certainly do think... Um, I was asked actually, Tiari Jones, uh, shout out to Tiari, she um, asked me this for another time that we were in. She picked me to be in this profile for Publishers Weekly and she asked me if the novel was a post bougie novel. (laughs) And I said, I mean, it certainly does not give a fuck about respectability politics. So it isn't that way. But also, I think it is in the way that, like, I've just, I mean, I've known you for how long now? It's
1: been a minute. Seven Seven years. years?
0: And damn, damn. we're getting old. And I remember
1: you had your blog with Kiana, proper uh, talks and Shout you know. out
0: to proper talk. Nate, <laughs> always and always and always rest in peace. <laughs> Don't nobody, everybody's all internet stuff. Like it just has to, like it's nice that it lives, but it also is nice when it dies. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I was 22 years old. Oh like I, I just need to forgive myself. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I think that you want to write things that your friends can like rock with and that your friends are not like, wait a minute. Um, You know, some people worry, like, am I going to represent the black community, right? And that's too much pressure. Like, come on, I can't worry about that. But I can worry, like, am I going to look like a fraud to the people I know and love? (laughs) (laughs) I'm writing this book full of platitudes and nonsense and I'm running around, like, pretending I'm like a nuanced human being. But that is something that I think I kept in consideration.
1: Whatever. That was ridiculous. (laughs) But I'm I'm glad you wrote this. And I'm glad for everything that happened for you in the last year. You completely fucking deserve it.
0: Thank
1: you. You can follow Angela Florinoy on Twitter at Angela Florinoy. That's A-N-G-E-L-A-F-L-O-U-R-N-O-Y. You can and should buy her book, The Turner House, from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. It is on the shortlist for fiction at this year's National Book Awards. The National Book Awards are this Wednesday. And thank you for doing this.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It's great. It's always great.
1: On behalf of Angela and the rest of the PB fam, this is GD. Be easy.
0: Our theme music is Nick's Groove by The Foreign Exchange. Shout out to our podcast producers, Channing Kennedy and John Ketchum. Holler at us. Follow Post Bougie on Twitter at P-O-S-T-B-O-U-R-G-I-E and like us on Facebook.